it, it's a little buzz inside, like I want to do this, I want to get this out. Stepping out of the comfort zone is going to feel uncomfortable. You know, the uncomfort is not a sign that you're on the wrong path. But if it's if it's just damn uncomfortable and challenging and you still have this inner belief that you gotta keep keep going and, and the world needs entrepreneurs to deliver the gift. Welcome to Secret Leaders. Today I'm joined by Anna Goodmanson, the co-founder and CEO of Sensate. Started in a Harley Street clinic, the original Sensate device was used to treat PTSD patients. It was this massive sound bed which was vibrating, and the goal was to tone the vagus nerve, which is basically what's responsible for controlling how your body responds to stress. Sensate's goal is to enhance stress resilience and improve overall well-being. They've got users in over 50 countries, and in April this year, they raised $3.2 million in seed funding. They believe in the importance of inner calm for overall well-being and are motivated by this mission, aiming to serve the estimated 75% of people who are stressed worldwide. I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this, you might be able to relate to that. It's a mission I'm also passionate about, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Anna, welcome to Secret Leaders. Thank you so much. I'm a big fan. It's great to be here. Okay, uh, I, look, first question. Why do you care about stress? Right, for me, it's, uh, it really is a root cause of so many issues that we're having in the world. And I see really far beyond the suffering that we individually might have. We might not feel great from stress, but it's so much more that is happening. So when we're activating the stress response in the body, we, uh, or what happens in the nervous system is that we uh, suppress functions that take a lot of energy in order to fight or flight. That's how the stress response has evolved. And so that immune, uh, that includes uh, suppressing the immune system, uh, which is obviously extremely impo important. And that's also why uh, continuous or frequent stress leads directly to physical disease at some point, very often. And, but we also suppress digestive functions, reproductive function, and the connection to our prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is where we have our conscious mind our executive functions, our problem solving, also our empathy. So if a vast portion of the population continuously activate a stress response, no other systems work. We need a lot of people in the world that are able to solve our problems. And so a population um, with just a lot of stressed people is not really going to be functioned the way we need society to function. So it's really deep empathy for the individual, both from the suffering from actual stress and anxiety and what that does to us um, you know, on a mental level and then also on a physical level, but really for me as well, what it does um, on a societal level. Okay, and also, I guess just understanding of our audience is obviously going to be very uh, very akin to stress because they are uh, typically put in stressful situations such as being the uh, living the consequences of their own life choices um, in entrepreneurship. So there is a difference between, I guess, bad stress and good stress though, right? So, uh, you know, the glib way of asking is, is all stress bad for you? But like, we both know it isn't. So can you explain the difference between these two? Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like sometimes I connect to, because I'm also a certified alchemy breathwork practitioner. And it's really fascinating because we do this uh, quite intense uh, breathing technique, which if you apply stress to it, you hyperventilate. 
if you apply process and consciousness to it, you oxygenate the body, detox, and have this expansive, almost like psychedelic experience. So um, th there is like, it's two very similar things, but, but so different. And obviously stress is needed in life. Um, it saves us from things. It activates certain parts for us. And it's also unavoidable. So stress is a part of life. And the pursuit really shouldn't be to avoid stress. It should be to have a healthy way of manage stress, to come back to a, a safe <laughs> internal space. Um, and of course it drives us, right? Um, a little bit of stress. And I think I, I often use it myself. If, if I feel stress that feels like a negative, destructive feeling, I'm like, I know how close um, excitement or anticipation is to stress. So I'm like, okay, I'm excited, I'm intrigued. Um, and and you know, it's, it's a reframing that is extremely important. But yes, it does, it does very different uh, things in our body um, and you know, the negative consequences, etc. So um, I think um, for entrepreneurs, we're always on the verge between the two. And it's fine to recognize that. But as I mentioned, it's really not to try to avoid the stressful um, scenarios. They're important, and especially in entrepreneurship. It's really how do we reframe, find tools and ways to use that um, energy to our advantage and then also come back into the sort of rest and relaxation state. And I, I've heard this before, and I'm wondering on your take on it. Is stress, are entrepreneurs addicted to stress? Like, are they attracted to and then even maybe addicted to it? Is there something, I guess, wrong with us? <laughs> I ask myself all the time. Uh, I think, you know, there is something. Okay, so let's get personal about this. It's obviously, you know, I've, I've had a lot of stress and pressure in my career. Uh, am I addicted to this? And I've looked at it from many different angles. I do a lot of self-introspection. And I think um, I am definitely, I have a little addiction to, the, the, uh, to a challenge. And really under that, it's growth. And that is almost beyond me. There is something in me that really wants to grow and learn. And if I don't get that, I'm unhappy. So then I can be more forgiving with myself when I find myself in really stressful situations because I can say, Anna, you know, you need this. You want this. So um, then it's not so much uh, self-judgment. I think there can be a negative um, addiction to it. I think uh, another part is, uh, you know, I can sense I have a huge need to feel alive. And so if things are very mundane and boring, um, you know, I, I want to feel connection with people. I want to feel connection with life. And so there are different ways of finding that. I think, um, you know, definitely that's an aspect where some people go towards alcohol and drugs, uh, party, because uh, that's very exciting and alive. Um, it can be workaholism, but really to sort of find what is what is below that. And, um, you know, you can find that in a breath work, you can find that in nature, you can find that in so many other things if we pay attention to it. But I think there can be um, a positive and a negative side to it. And I certainly think that there is a lot of uh, workaholism um, in our society, which is more um, a, a way to not feel or not be present and to cover over and to sort of drown ourselves in something else um, not to not to feel the unmet needs, needs that might be below. And I'm going to stick with this theme just for a moment because I'm personally so interested in it. Um, I, I've, I've experienced burnout. And so um, I don't know whether I'm relating burnout to stress specifically, but to follow through this line of thought, obviously burnout, you hit an extreme and then you can't do anything 
or I should be more specific, I couldn't do anything. And I spent about three weeks in bed. Um, well, I later had really bad COVID and I realized there were very similar uh, experiences on my body, which I was just wiped out one way or another. Just one was a virus and the other was, I guess, psychological. Um, but that's the most similar experience I've ever had, interestingly, burnout and really bad COVID. And I, I guess ultimately because energy levels were just zero. And... I'm wondering, and obviously once you have burnout, then afterwards you're like, God, I'd never need to let myself get like that again because that's even less productive. And oh my God, I went to the depths of extremity on hustling to do this and now I won't do it anymore. And now I'm going to be much more conscious and aware of everything. And so suddenly you have this miraculous opportunity of awareness and even more self-awareness and you start to understand your body a little bit better. Now, that's an extreme reality. And as someone who's personally experienced a lot of mental health challenges in my life, some of them come at the point of extreme. And what would be amazing for human beings is to not get to the extreme side before you realize, you know, not to go right off the deep end before you realize that this isn't healthy or I need to change a behavior. Um, but that's also the thing that I'm really interested in about in your understanding of sort of stress and where this, uh, where these borderlines are, because in a way, there's also a good thing about that happening to me, which is that I'll never again kid myself. And I think there's actually, I meet a lot of people who kid themselves about how stressed they are and how much they're doing and how much they can take and that they never really necessarily get to the border. And so there's almost this like unhealthy, almost extreme, but actually just continually perpetuating the same behaviors over and over again and sort of wondering why they're not feeling right. It's not really a question in that. I suppose it's just like, what is your perspective on, you know, um, how to balance this, you know, uh, barrier between extremity and living with something that actually isn't healthy? And yeah, uh, how do you get awareness really is the question, right? How do you know yourself enough? Yeah. Um, well, ever-growing awareness, I think, is a worthwhile pursuit. And I think... Uh, Nothing in the universe is a straight line and everything happens in seasons or, or waves or whatnot. And I think the, the importance is to see that as much as there's sort of a cyclical nature, you're never back in the same place. So uh, I don't think we can, like we will have moments where we have this realization we've just, we've burnt out and then had this, went on a retreat and now <laughs> we're in this amazing connected space. We're not going to stay there either, right? Mm. And so that's, that's okay that things kind of ebb and flow or, uh, you know, move. But it, I think what's important is to, to just learn something um, in every way. And I think we do actually. Um, but that's a choice. I mean, I think that's where it's a difference between um, keep making the same mistake and get more bitter and bitter about it every time which is, you know, very possible and we see that everywhere around us or uh, really learning from what happened and moving a little bit forward. And it doesn't mean we're not going to have a similar situation sometime again. It's just kind of recognizing that there was um, was a little bit of, of, of progress from the time mm. before. There's another thing as well that uh, popped up in my mind when you were talking, which was um, there is uh, this um, awareness and volatility graph. Uh, and so uh, the more, um, the, the lower awareness, the higher the volatility. And this goes in everything. So if we happen to have high volatility in our relationships, um, 
we need to increase our relationship volatility. We need to learn about ourselves and, and relationship and do work in that space. If we have high financial volatility, then we need to increase our financial awareness. So is this any area of life where we have high volatility? It could be health. Uh, we need to come back closer into our body, get to know our body uh, more. And uh, that I've been on the same journey. So two near burnouts or however you define a burnout where I also was unable to work, needed to take time out. Um, but such enormous growth, unbelievable what I got out of that. And during those like times where I really took to upgrade myself, I mean, they were big upgrades. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, and, and yeah, there is something that's a little extreme about me. You know, I, I um, uh, obviously as an entrepreneur, <laughs> take, take risks, um, explorer, I've traveled around the world on my own twice. So there's definitely, you know, something, something there, but I find that, that, um, just seeing things as uh, a continuum uh, on sort of awareness and, and, and volatility and knowing that you can, you can decrease that volatility if you just grow your awareness is a sort of helpful metaphor. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Okay. And then my, I guess the reason why I'm asking these questions is you have a very hard problem to solve in a product space and I want to get into it. But I guess when I was really, you know, I've, I've got the product. Um, interestingly, I was at an event a few months ago and someone, and someone was doing uh, an energy healing on me and, uh, and then we did some breath work and then they started talking about Sensei. And this is a very, very experienced person who's um, someone I, I really admire and respect and was like, it's just been incredible and you need to try it. And was just like basically your personal salesperson, you'll be delighted to know. Um, 
And I was like, God, that sounds amazing. Anyway, so I've tried it and I actually like, I completely get it. It's really smart, but it's also worth saying that this woman was able to talk to me on a level where in my day job, you know, I run a company and we make probiotics and they specifically target the vagus nerve. And I write about the vagus nerve and, you know, I'm not a normal consumer. So when someone's talks to me about this stuff and explains how it works, I'm like, God, yeah, that's genius and makes loads of sense. Whereas your average consumer would be a bit like, what? And I guess the thing that I'm trying to work out is how it's such a big problem. You know, say 75% of the world is stressed, but how much of the world is willing to do something about it versus just accepting that that is life? Um, how do you, as a company, get people to really appreciate this doesn't have to be life? and there is a better way, and that we can do something about it. So I'd just love to know how you go about solving the comms problem, because I'm personally so interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. So there are kind of two things to unpack there. One, which is like the intent from an individual to want to do something about it. And the other one is like, how do we uh, communicate with uh, with them? So um, in general, and this is kind of product slash social psychology, <laughs> um, there is... Um, it's great when we can move from just avoiding pain to actually moving towards goals. And so very often, and, and I think just looking at heaps of consumer data in my life, marketing data, whatnot, behavioral data, um, the vast majority of the population are typically primarily away from driven. Then you have a few that have this goals that they're driven towards. And often there's a mix. I'm driven to do this both to get away from something and towards something, but it's very often a sort of away from pain. So that's also the sort of marketing metaphor, the difference between a painkiller and a vitamin. And it's much harder to sell a, sell a vitamin than, than a painkiller. You're telling me. I, I know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. When people use this analogy with me all the time. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'd love to sell painkillers. That's true. But <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but that's a shift, right? That's a shift on an individual level and on a global level to start looking after ourselves, to 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 realize that it's not just you know we can we things can be better. And I think when we also have a scenario where so many people are in so much pain, um, pain quote unquote, which is stress, overwhelm, anxiety, that is 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 really overwhelming for a lot of people. And I have a lot of empathy for that because I looked at a lot of the data and I understand as well as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I am in a privileged little clique of people that are, you know, have reasonably high stress resiliency, etc. And I, I care very deeply about um, uh, about that. So, so the the uh, the willingness to do something about it in a natural way is kind of innate, and um, people genuinely have some intuition. Um, you know, if you need to take antidepressants, you need to take antidepressants, hundred percent. Like we're not, we're, this is not either or, but a lot of people want to do something that is natural to the body and, and find a way. What's also difficult because Proactive. there are practices. Exactly. So there are practices. We have breath work, we have meditation, amazing. Both my co-founder Stefan and I are meditators, uh, breath workers. Um, the point is that also human nature, and it's like meeting people, a group of people here happens to be the mass market, like a huge number of people, where they are, nowhere near meditating. Um, to get into a meditative state, it does take a little bit of practice. It's so worth it. I recommend everyone to learn to meditate, but if you're actually totally overwhelmed, raging heart rate, thoughts all over the place, 
it's extremely difficult to get into a meditative state from there to there. And so what Sunstate offers is much more an embodied experience. And it's really just tapping into something that the body is known to do for thousands of years. So arming and yoga, um, if we learn to do this properly, we get the vibration into the chest area. And the chest area is already built to create resonance. And so that's obviously what opera singers project with, etc. So this is not really new. We're using infrasonic waves and sound, um, which is also like very natural to the body and it's harmonized. And here we're getting into where I think is a whole new paradigm on science, which I'm very interested in. Obviously, we're mainly water. We know what harmonized frequencies does in terms of patterns and I've myself studied signal processing back in the day. I'm a total geek. Um, and, and so it's very natural for me to think of reality as wave and like how we can manipulate. And obviously we are already doing it, but it's kind of a little bit magic, but it's actually extremely powerful. So uh, I'm looking forward to so much more research in this field, which is happening not just for us, but in, 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 in general. So I call it like, well, you've just explained the product, put headphones on, you place a little sunset here, you start a session in the app, the sessions are between 10 and 30 minutes. Where's here? Imagine that people can't see you. Just go, give us the proper verbal sunset experience. Okay, great. Yes. So you, this little pebble device, uh, black, that you place on your sternum, on your chest bone. You can either use a lanyard and uh, recline, or you can lie down and just place it on your, on your chest bone. That's what I've got. I've got a lanyard with mine, makes it a bit easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people, so many people travel with it as well. Um, uh, so, you know, it depends on whether you're using it at home in bed or, or you know, in the office or, or whatnot. You put on your own headphones, um, you just turn on the device, open an app, it connects automatically, and you start a session. The sessions are between 10 and 30 minutes. You will hear sounds which have particular frequencies, and that sounds like music, it's composed like music. And you will feel the infrasonic frequencies, subaudible frequencies in the chest area, like a purr. And a purr is actually a very relevant word because cat purr is also infrasonic waves. And, um, and so I, I'm really mesmerized by how effective this is. It's obviously my co-founder, Stefan, who's worked decades in uh, integrated healthcare, prominent Holly Street Clinic, um, New Medicine Group, back when he was doing that. And so I, I myself, I, I'm really mesmerized. There is something natural that is activated because it's, for me, it's disproportionate to how much it really works. And it works not when you already are calm, but also for people to just find that relief. It, and a lot of people use it for sleeping as well, um, which, uh, which we, more than we had anticipated. Um, yeah. So in terms of how we communicate, uh, yeah, so it's very different. We, we have people that are using on, on the whole health continuum, on the wellness continuum from people that are, you know, very sick, a lot of chronic disease, um, actually also apparently long COVID. We're not a medical device. We make no claims in this field. Uh, but it's obvious that also the ability to calm the nervous system is going to be extremely important to recover from pretty much anything. Uh, we have people that are going through chemo, which is also very stressful, that are using it at, at that end of, of, of illness. Um, to all the way on the other side of the scale, we've got biohackers, health hackers, longevity people that are using it to optimize their HRV and live longer. And good vagal nerve tone, as you might know, is one of the most important things for expanding the, the health span. But we're really focused on the sort of middle uh, which is um, people that um, just want to find an easy way to relax and, um, and manage when they feel stressed and overwhelmed and also uh, potentially, you know, sleep. So, 
yeah, it's a different different language for for the groups. And talk to me a little bit about then what is happening. So you mentioned frequency, you mentioned waves, you mentioned the vagus nerve. Um, explain all of this to us. What's really going on? So what's really going on is um, the infrasonic waves are um, spreading through the chest area. And because it's uh, sonic waves, it goes through matter. So that's why it doesn't even need to sit uh, directly on the skin or anything like that. And, um, and the sound, which is also sonic waves, but hearable, uh, come through the ears. And if we think about it, like sound waves are really magic. Um, if we put just like two things that vibrate on two th sides of a glass of water, nothing happens with the water. We put two transducers, but infrasonic waves, you start to see patterns. And if you put those two in harmony, you see this beautiful, you know, beautiful flowery patterns, right? So um, it is traveling through the, the whole body. Now, we know from research that people get more relaxed, right? So we know the outcome. What I can't say is this exactly thing is happening on the vagus nerve, for example, because we haven't done invasive where you actually plant an instrument on the vagus nerve and see that this is exactly the mechanism. But it is also the traditions that have been around for thousands of years. And, uh, you know, like, but that's like, I'm making that distinction very deliberately. So, um, what we can see, for example, is that from a very first session, we have a significant decrease in beta brain waves and a significant increase in theta brain waves, which means that from a very first session, we are able to move people towards a meditative state. So that's very, very, very exciting. And so those are, you know, things that we can say also other relaxation metrics like lowered heart rate and uh, peripheral skin temperature, respiratory rates, um, all of those things. But that, that's very exciting actually to see that we're actually able to shift uh, people towards uh, a meditative state. For me personally, um, entrepreneur, back to <laughs> entrepreneurship. And this is not the use case, by the way, but I need to work a lot of hours, right? So in the afternoon, I do a sensate session. And in the afternoon is when it is the hardest for me to try to meditate because I'm in the middle of the workday. I have so many thoughts, so many follow-ups, so much going on. Um, to actually quiet my mind is almost impossible at that state. And that's when I do a sensate. And so then um, if I'm tired, I will sit up. If I'm not too tired, I will lie down. And, um, and it's almost like the thoughts just become some kind of background noise. And I get this nervous system embodied relaxation. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's what I think sort of is, is the difference and why it really helps um, a lot of people that, you know, per perhaps aren't really um, able to meditate at the state they're in at the, that time or, or in general. And you say if you're not too tired, you lie down. Is that because you don't want to fall asleep? Yes. <laughs> what happens if you fall asleep? Nothing except for you need to wake up and do your work or... Yes, I do not want to meet my, my next meeting. That's the main reason. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between a beta and theta brainwave then? What are we trying oh, to optimize with these? Yeah, no, beta brainwaves is kind of the, the activity one. So thought, things going on, work, all of that. And the uh, theta brainwaves are uh, much more representing the... The, the, the meditative state there there obviously we can go through like all the different brain waves it's also actually we're not even a brain uh, brain um, uh, company uh, or brain wave company specifically but obviously everything is one so the brain and the nervous system the nervous system is an ex extension of the brain so I just mentioned that um, specifically because it's, it's kind of interesting to move towards um, uh, towards meditative state 
Um, but uh, but in general, you know, we're 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 focused on the the relaxation uh, aspect, and we're not uh, deliberately uh, manipulating. There's no device on the brain or anything like that. It's just mm. showing that the body itself goes towards uh, a more meditative state. And tell our listeners a little bit about the vagus nerve. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body. It's extremely important. It has a lot of very important functions. Um, signal. It's a. It's the sort of uh, information highway between all the organs and the brain. So it goes into the gut, into lungs and heart, and uh, controls a lot of different things that uh, you know it's not relevant to sensate. But what is very relevant to us, it is. Uh, directly related to the stress response and so um, if we see a trigger um, here it could be an email you know we can sit on a we're the only species that can sit in a very very safe space and have suddenly a panic attack right because it's created internally so we can see something on the news so we can receive an email or a text message and we activate the stress response and that's when all the havoc happens in the body we get ready to fight or flight so Away goes the <laughs> immune system, uh, re- uh, digestive system, all of that, right? Um, in terms of fun- focus functions. And um, if we have a strong vagal nerve tone, it kind of just hits a little like response, like, hang on a minute, wait, no, let's take a look at this. And so it gives you that micro moment of, oh, am I really going to react to this? So you know the people, like you know when there are people like, you know, someone bumps into them and they, you know, get angry back or shout something back. It's like, huh, you know, oh, you know, they might not have good balance or they might not have seen me or they might not have a good day. All right. Didn't change anything for me. So it's that ability to have that space and having significantly improved my own vagal nerve tone, it's freedom. It's freedom not to be as, as triggered and, you know, get emails and feel this like, contraction in the belly but just sort of be able to and I mean hey I have I have limits myself as well it's not like I don't experience stress but I can definitely notice the increase in ability to to stay calm and uh, and not have the activation of all the negative aspects of stress um, and quite quickly sort of like all oh, right okay what do I need to do about this and turn towards action and and, and so on so yeah the vagus nerve and then as mentioned maintain connection to the prefrontal cortex, making good decisions. So when we have activated stress response, we're actually not capable of making good decisions. Another interesting thing is that when we exhaust or disconnect the prefrontal cortex, it also increases all our biases. So, you know, it's, it's just like really important for an individual and also for, as I mentioned, the society as a whole. Yeah, I think you just reminded me of there's the famous quote from Viktor Frankl, right? Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, you have a chance to choose how to respond. And in that is freedom. Exactly. And that's a Probably good way to exactly. Probably not exactly. Yeah. But, you know, paraphrasing almost correctly. Um, I guess he's like the, uh, the forefather of the vagus nerve. Possible to use him in an upcoming ad campaign. If Apple were able to use Einstein then I can't see why you can't use him. Anyway, I guess the thing that I want to ask about this then, so very often cited, certainly by me, like I really deeply feel this, like the absolute necessary ingredient for entrepreneurship is resilience. And without it, you are fucked. It's just not going to work because you are going to have a flaky little meltdown nonstop. Now, 
obviously entrepreneurship is an amazing way to learn resilience because I also think, you know, what does that really mean? Like, how does one learn resilience? Like for most of us in, let's say, first world countries, middle-class families and stuff, you have parents who love you, want to protect you and help hopefully make sure that you don't, you know, fall over and hit your head so much and all of the stuff that's just like normal, privileged, but, you know, everyday first world modern day society behavior. So you're kind of exempt from the everyday opportunities for building resilience quite often. And the, I mean, broadly, this is a very broad statement, but I, I've thought about this a lot. And there are obviously ways that you can build resilience. For example, you could do an ice bath. Um, or, you know, there's just like a zillion ways that you can ha- give yourself a hard time and have some discipline and get mentally tough around things. And those are great ways. So is going into entrepreneurship. I, I've certainly found it's toughened me up a lot and things that I used to have a meltdown over are just like a casual footnote in my day now. So that's what time and experience will give you. But what I find really interesting about this is it's not so much the resilience that uh, matters necessarily. Really, what you're saying is it is the actual psychological, physiological response you're having to it that matters. And um, what sounds like the Sensate device does is help you shortcut a better response, which is really like, what is the outcome you're trying to do with all this resilience? It's maintain focus and have better decisions, right? It's not let the outside world, you know, control your destiny and have more agency and control of your inside world and how you're able to respond to every waking moment. I'm sure that's like everyone's desired outcome. And that is a lifetime of hard inner work that people have to do actually sounds really interestingly sort of what the sensate product is trying to work towards right giving you that space is that a fair comparison yeah i think like in terms of just what we're generally trying to do is just provide and really what we are doing is providing a really effective tool for people to to calm and feel better and more relaxed in the moment like that is and the reason why it's so important that people really do feel calmer um, is otherwise people don't go back to it. And it's when you continuously practice that you really get the long-term benefits, like with meditation. Um, so any practice that you do when you need it and that gets you back into a state of like reducing it's not necessarily from feeling horrible to feeling ecstatic right uh, but just noticing that like okay the stress went down a few notches and i can i can handle this right now every time we do that it's 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 building up and my co-founder stefan who is is obviously much more eloquent in these topics than i he talks about the difference between muscles which you build and as soon as you stop going to the gym they deteriorate whereas Whereas um, nerves, actually, when they rewire, they stay that way unless you start to wire them some other way. And it, it's, it's, um, it's more like pebbles in a jar, like at some point. Which you, can work you... for us and against us, right? Good habits, bad habits. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's like it, it builds up. So, um, so and, and personally, if I have like if I had a billboard message, <laughs> like it would be neuroplasticity is real. I have had so much stuff that I had to work through. I, uh, my parents divorced when I was, uh, you know, in that attachment uh, phase, so under three years old. And, you know, just um, 
my personality and fitting into the world, being big personality, female, you know, like it's just it's like I've had so much stuff to work through and I'm a different person for it. And I'm so grateful for my younger self because it's actually not even that hard. I mean, it's like a lifelong journey and so many layers to pay up, peel off, but every step is rewarding. Investing in in sort of reprogramming, I used to program actual computer codes, so it's a very good analogy for me. And I, I kind of came from it from now, like, hey, I have a bug in the system, like this problem keeps coming back or this feeling keeps coming back or this scenario is repetitive. And, and I'm like, okay, how do I fix this? And there are loads of different modalities, but just this kind of, we're not born away and we're like that the rest of our lives. It's, everything is completely reprogrammable and it's um, not everything. I think there's that core essence of who we are, but our, our stuff, you know, that's, uh, that's definitely um, reprogrammable. So yeah, like just a kind of side comment on uh, the encouragement of, of, of neuroplasticity is real. And I think um, any tool works. I mean, there is an abundant market. Um, so I'm like, if, if breathwork is working for you, fantastic. I have all of the above, right? For me, um, I use breathwork when I, in the mornings. I use meditation at night. And I need my sunset in the afternoon because otherwise my prefrontal cortex burn out and I don't have focus in the evenings. So, uh, you know, it's whatever works for people. But I think what we're offering is sort of using the body's own systems to have an effective way to to find um, you know that a few notches down on the stress scale yeah we have a saying at heights that we use in our marketing which is you're not stuck with the brain you're born with um which is a very basic way of saying neuroplasticity is real uh because it really is right anyone can change their life at any given moment and it's one of the reasons personally that i always encourage people um, pick some positive and uplifting people to follow on social media. Find new ideas in books that you both agree with and are interested in and disagree with so that you can learn. Like All of the stuff is neuroplasticity in action. Um, I think one of the most interesting and enlightening and positive things is knowing that you can create a habit from today or tomorrow whatever that thing is and it will literally completely change the direction of your life by changing your brain if you can work at sticking at it which is also why don't pick too many habits at once just pick one but for me you know two of the most impactful habits when I first learned about neuroplasticity the two habits that I decided to focus on was trying to read a new book every week audible so read is a bit of a strong word for what I do but listen um and and the second was practice gratitude and those two things, you know, every single day for, I don't know, the last maybe six or seven years, I've done the sort of three things I'm grateful for. Um, every week, I'll either listen to a book a week or like, on walks or, you know, enough podcasts in between. But the point is learning. And all of those things make me a completely different person 10 years later to who I was 10 years ago. And it's deliberate. It's, I wasn't in a good place. I wanted to be someone that I wasn't. And instead of feeling helpless about it, I understood that I actually could change all of those things. And believing it and doing it creates the change. So yeah, neuroplasticity is absolutely real. That is my plug for neuroplasticity. Um, and, and a plug for podcasts. And a plug <laughs> for podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Always come to new information. Inspiring content. And, yeah. Exactly. Um, 
And also one of my favorite sayings, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So if this message hit you at the right time, then you can thank Anna for teaching you today about both neuroplasticity and the vagus nerve, two of the most incredible parts of human existence, realistically. Um, so let's get back to stress. Why do you care about stress was my first question. Let's talk about the most stressful moment of your life. Is there something that springs to mind when I ask that? Most stressful period, I guess, moment is a bit rich, but... So, uh, you know, as part of my grown-up life that I actually remember, <laughs> I would say, yeah, we, um, I was, um, was turnaround CEO for a public company in the UK. And um, in only 18 months, we had, um, well, you know, since I took on, like, restructured, uh, pivoted the company at 80% of revenues in the new market, I think half the losses, so almost got rid of all the debt. It was like amazing. Um, and then uh, we had uh, issues with a lender and ended up having to sell the company sort of 85% through the journey. That was insanely stressful. And I think uh, it was my biggest growth as, um, as a CEO, uh, biggest professional growth. And just having to dig so deep to find my resources, uh, and I, I definitely felt very lonely at the time. I, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't really set myself up with uh, coaches and things like that, which I'm a massive fan of, by the way. And um, and in that moment, yeah, it was it was it was hardcore. And I, I remember I was waking up in the morning, and um, I was finding the energy. I was like unstoppable just trying to find new ways and in the end we actually did a reverse merger of with a listed shell and we sell, sold the the platform to to an Australian company so um, you know it wasn't uh, by, by any means like a good exit or anything like that but we, we succeeded uh, but I was waking up and I I just had to reframe every morning I get to do this because the overwhelm of impossibilities <laughs> that you know was there in the bedroom when I woke up I was just having to uh, reframe that as I really get to learn I get to grow I get to I get to do this I am becoming a better CEO every moment of this I am growing my stress resilience and um, I think and sometimes, I chose this also you yeah, didn't choose yeah. what happened to you but you chose the role and that is the yeah. role and it's shit sometimes we know yeah, don't try to turn around an aimlessed company, that small cap aimlessed company. That you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um, so yeah, that one was really challenging, and I really had to go very deep in finding internal resources. And I do find sometimes that maybe, well, I, I, I forgive all the challenging times because there is deep growth. There is a lot of growth in those moments. And so it's just kind of seeing that silver lining, which is not always easy when you're in the thick of it. But when you're able to see that when, it, when we're doing it, then, you know, it really helps um, with uh, that reshifting and that energy and that positive and that like negative to positive stress. Okay, so that is an exceptionally stressful period. I, uh, I, can, see, I can see why you're like, okay, when I'm done with that, maybe I can investigate something slightly different and I can see how going back to startup life at the earlier stage and Sensate makes sense. So talk to us a little bit about your journey. How did you get into starting Sensate? Yeah, well, I have to give uh, credit for anything like 
early days product related to my co-founder, Stefan, who is an amazing human being um, and with sort of pioneering integrated healthcare in the UK as well, it's really taken in patients that have been to so many doctors and um, have very complex health conditions, often stress and trauma related, or there is some aspect of stress and trauma in the middle of all these different symptoms. And, um, and so he has his whole life you know, had to pioneer into different areas and find ways to successfully heal and help people with his group of like, elite specialists that they were working with. And what he could see uh, together with, uh, with his team was that good vagal nerve tone was possibly the silver bullet to recovering from almost anything. Or rather, if you weren't able to manage the stress levels, it would be extremely difficult to recover from almost anything. And, um, and what he could also see was very interesting was that prescribing meditation, breath work, uh, mindfulness exercises, people's ability to do that kind of fell off a cliff some 15, 20 years ago. And he needed to find other ways. And he's been a gatekeeper for a lot of different tools and practices and um, available uh, treatments and uh, found that the, the sort of uh, uh, infrasonic treatments on this larger kit, um, sort of the bed, uh, was really effective, he was using it himself, but he could also see those working on patients. And, and sort of, he's got this ability to really see holistically. Like it's, it's very, very unique and make him, I think, a very, very good doctor. And, um, and so, you know, just knowing how the body is built, it's like, well, this part of the body is built to create resonance and the vagus nerve goes through here is a good part, place to activate the vagus nerve, similar to arming. And so we started working on a prototype. And, um, and we were introduced, and so for me, I had no intention whatsoever to co-found. I um, was uh, working as an independent um, contractor for venture-backed companies uh, at the time, a lot in the product space. Um, did some more restructurings, <laughs> so I've definitely had a lot of hardcore experiences. So you're, you're, and, you were uh, like the bad cop that people would bring in because you've got like a nice smiley face, but then you deliver loads of shit news. Well, I try to do it with a lot of heart. And actually also, you know, if the company, if a company doesn't survive, it's not good for anyone, you know? So it's like when you have to do those things, it's really sort of getting everyone to understand that this isn't a personal thing. This is what's happening in the business. You know, I could talk a whole, another hour about that. It's, it's definitely very challenging. And I, I, I really care about people, but, you know, just shifting the focus from the individual drama to this is a business that needs to survive. Um, is, is sort of uh, really important in that context. But I was very interested, both I think Stefan is, uh, is an amazing person and doing fantastic work, and so I wanted to help him. I had other much larger clients in, in the tech sector, which is my background. And um, uh, I was also interested in this new paradigm of frequency. So, uh, you know, I, uh, having also, uh, you know, studied math, I actually taught math at university at some point when I was 24 and signal processing and all these things that I mentioned, uh, I think we're, we're starting to understand the waveform. So we've really studied reality as matter for a long time, but really it isn't. Everything is frequency and vibration. And that's also, you know, what, what you know, Tesla would say. So uh, I think, uh, you know, that was what draw, drew me just an interest, you know, for real life applications of anything that is frequency based. It makes a lot of sense to me. And then I helped him as an, uh, an advisor to the company and also a little time on contract startup rate uh, to get the first product to market. And 
TensorFlow data geek, I uh, started like, uh, where's the where's the usage data? And on the sort of typical 90-day uh, line where you have um, from apps, for example, you got single digit retention in the wellness space, uh, typically. And I go back and I'm like, oh, guys, there's something wrong with usage data here because it's like 10x um, industry standard. And they came back to me like, no, this is real. I'm like, what? Because we also sold it with sort of broad messaging on, on Facebook, right? So we, we hadn't, this wasn't, you know, some little club that was all into Vegas or anything like that. So that was incredibly fascinating to me because then I realized, okay, this is potentially a tool for the largest market in the world and the biggest problem like this. So I took it very seriously and it was more like, okay, I need to help Stefan get this off the ground because this is a product that's needed by so many people, millions and millions of people. And ended up then sort of supporting, taking a board director role. And then finally, because uh, <laughs> he wanted me on board, I'm like, all right, I guess this is what I'm doing. And at that point, really knew Stefan, knew the company, the financial opportunity, the, as well as the, the impact we could have. So, um, you know, it's not the first startup I did, uh, but, um, but it, was, uh, it was almost reluctantly and really driven by, uh, you know, both Stefan and this incredible product. I love this story because I think it's uh, more common than we than we actually know behind the scenes of how uh, companies are founded and co-founded. Um, I think people get very hung up with the idea of co-founder from day one. It's kind of like, I don't know, any successful company you've ever heard of, like at a certain size, most companies just die anyway. And it's all insignificant. Like if you're relatively early, you're early like full stop and certainly early enough to be co-founder because there's a long way to go if the vision is big and the audience opportunity is large enough. So I actually think it's great to hear the side of the story of someone who is flirting with the founder uh, professionally, of course, Anna, don't worry, but, you know, platonically <laughs> flirting with the opportunity around yeah. them, doing the advisory work, building a relationship, because that is actually like the number one thing where co-founders uh, break up and have the biggest problems. And I think I read somewhere like number one reasons companies fail other than running out of cash is co-founders falling out, breaking up and not being able to resolve their differences. So how do you build trust with a partner long term or don't get into bed with the first one that you meet, like try and actually experience what it's like working together? Um, I think just hearing how you've approached it you know, it sounds like a really good relationship forming and great opportunity as well to identify each other's weaknesses, right? Even to the point of, you know, you're the CEO. And I'm assuming both of you are able to recognize that that is the sensible thing. But ego is a funny thing, isn't it? So sometimes the, the founder is like, no, no, I need to be the CEO because I'm the founder. And you're like, well, yeah, sure. But you'd actually not be a very good one. And can we have that conversation compared to my experience? And I'd love to know how you approach these thorny topics from the beginning. Yeah, no, I mean, I think both, because Stefan and I both have done a lot of our own work uh, and, and it's this uh, interesting thing in relationships um, where it's like, OK, we can actually have disputes and really be pretty upset about things, but we know that we're going to come back. It's this trust that, you know, we can, we'll, we'll come back. It doesn't matter what happens. Like, we'll come back to each other and we'll come back in a constructive way and we'll find a way through it. And I think that's, you know, uh, from, from our respective relationships that we, you know, may have worked on, but also just like the, the, the personal work. Uh, definitely recognize Stefan for, for the, 
the sort of not CEO ego, but I think it's also not like a role that he necessarily wanted to do. And in terms of the co-founder, I think, you know, there wasn't a business. There was a, a prototype in a clinic. Mm-hmm. And so really kind of what I've come in and done is I've raised all the money. So I, you know, doubled revenues year on year. Uh, for the lot since we launched in 2019, um, you know, the hiring, the firing, the hustling. I call him the healer and I'm the hustler. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think um, it's when you know what you're good at and what you want to do what makes you happy. Um, taking on that role um, is, is not great. But then also uh, a role that isn't aligned uh, is, is unhelpful. But I think for me, it wasn't, it wasn't even an option because I, I saw that that would not be functioning. Like I, you know, the way I make decisions uh, around the business and, you know, <laughs> uh, making sure that um, we're able to continue focus, not develop 200 products and then have no cash, etc. I mean, still obviously extremely, you know, challenging to race, so, you know, round after round. But, um, you know, we've, we've, we've been successful to date. So that's very exciting. Um, as I mentioned, we, and we've actually had uh, double, twice as much in revenues as we've, we've raised to date. Uh, so it's like that is my space. That is like where I operate. And I can't operate and implement and do my magic if I'm going to try to do that from below somehow and the decisions about. So that was also just a choice for me. Like I'm, I'm I, you know, then I got other things to do. There are an abundance of, of opportunities for, for work as well. So I do think that, yes, it's, it's a good recognition. And I think about that a lot as, as well. I actually think that investors and VCs really should look at the relationship between the founders as an important aspect of investments because this is a huge, as you mentioned, uh, reason for failure. And, uh, you know, I feel like both Stefan and I, um, I wouldn't say the investment in the relationship is necessarily where it needs to be because we're so damn busy and, uh, you know, I would say especially myself, uh, but, but that we sort of have that baseline of sanity and ability to come back to each other and uh, find um, our internal processes. So not projecting my like, okay, what is it that I didn't hear? What is it that I did? Like that whole kind of hygiene relationship management of our own triggers and our own emotions but that isn't always there there's a lot of people have never even heard those words never thought about it and you know gonna hit um, their own (laughs) trigger barriers at some point in in a in a founder relationship because you are going to go through some seriously stressful times together and yeah i mean the irony of the expectation on you to not get overly stressed during really stressful times is almost too much um so the hustler and the healer Absolutely incredible sound of a dynamic duo, by the way, possibly the best, you know, usually you have the, you know, the operator and thinker or whatever. I love hustler and healer. That's brilliant. Um, as the hustler, what are your, what are your biggest blind spots? What are your weaknesses? What are the challenges you have as a leader that you still haven't nailed? All right. So I think one aspect is just the kind of um, yin yang space. As a society, we're all in the yang and I am too. So my, I, 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 I'm constantly just making sure that um, I spend a little bit more time in the manifestation space. And it's an interesting thing, actually. It's kind of personal, but I, I, like I can notice when I do how things work. Like in a way, I'm like, huh, I think I'm a pretty powerful manifester, but like I don't do it because my rational brain doesn't think it makes sense, right? So I do very often get stuck in overdoing. I think I've shifted a lot from my two near burnouts. Um, and it's both my ability to actually enjoy my work when even in the middle of fires, you know, that, that shifts a lot. But then also to notice, I can feel now after 
uh, after my, I was actually like sick for a few years, saved by functional medicine. I'm so grateful. Um, and um, and off, off, through that process, I really had to come into my body. Now I feel when, when I'm like, oh, I just shifted into burning adrenaline. Okay, I need to take a break. So just, you know, um, managing, managing that. But it's constant work, you know. It's just like um, you're talking about habits and you do them for a bit and then you fall out. It's okay. You know, you still did them. You still did a little bit of wiring. So you're like, just go back. Just go back and restart them again. So for me, it's, it's constant work in progress. I can sometimes move too fast. And um, I have a great com connection with the team. And they remind me. <laughs> so like, hey, what's happening? Um, so I think uh, they're all sort of things that I'm working on, which by that doesn't make them particular blind spots, right? But if they were actual blind spot, I wouldn't know about them. So, so I guess, you know, yeah, there's tons of things that are work in progress. Um, I was just thinking if there was like one major thing, but I think the, the mostly it is that thing that I just end up going to action when things are, um, you know, when there's high pressure, I go to action. And for an entrepreneur, that is obviously a great skill. Um, but it does also sometimes mean that I forget to just sit back and, and be in that space of what is it that I'm trying to manifest here. You guys, you know, we had recently, we had the founder of Theragun on and he came to tell, or Therabody now, and uh, he came to tell the story of how he founded it. And, you know, such a big company now and so uniquely positioned in the space with copycats and all sorts of things. And it was just utterly fascinating to hear true product innovation from a sector expert on a device um, that's made such a big impact and creates a category where there isn't really a demand. There's the problem, which is pain, but there isn't a product or a problem, so to speak. No one's looking for a hardware pro product to solve that problem at all. Um, it really reminds me of your journey as well, because his story is very much about category creation. Um, and that's what I think is going on here, right? And you're much earlier in that journey. But what you've fundamentally done is understand something on the scientific side, which is, you know, we're making a drastic difference to people's stress levels by connecting the vagus nerve. And yes, no matter whether you're woo-woo or science, energy and frequency is, you know, really the one constant between the two worlds, right? This is uh, not really disputed. This is just fact. It's physics and spirituality too. So I think there's something really interesting in the category creation side. The question for you is, how are you actually going about manifesting your vision and your success as a category with a physical product like this? Um, and... Yeah, I want to basically challenge you on the manifestation side to grow a little bit live on our podcast by telling us how, how you're approaching it. And by the way, if you're a listener and you're rolling your eyes and being like, oh, God, manifestation, Dan, shut up. Um, you know, in science, it's called neuroplasticity. And in business, it's just called planning. So it's OK. Yeah. There's a word for it yeah. no matter where you come from. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, any sports person will visualize their jump or run or score before, you know, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not nothing woo woo. Um, but yeah, I think uh, there, there is a sort of the early stage in a company is always about, okay, that's where we're going. Okay, everyone knows. Okay, now how do we get to the next round? I mean, like that's that's the sort of um, the, the the sort of setup early stage. So uh, where we're going is really um, a 
a lifelong relationship with customers around stress. So it's, it's both a brand, a consumer brand, where we have multiple products and services, but stress com comes back in, in life, but you'll be a different part of the journey. You will need different things at different times. Uh, you will have needs during sleepless nights with small kids, um, deep trauma, etc. So at the moment we have one product and fortunately it serves, um, you know, as I mentioned, the whole wellness continuum, but there's so much more we could provide for our customers, so much more support and they're asking for it because what's interesting, what we can see is that because the product works, there's trust. Because yeah, I wouldn't put this product into market if it didn't work. I've got better things to do. Life is short. So, uh, so I think, you know, that's the, the big uh, vision which we're talking about, like how, how and also there's much more to that. How do we interact as a company? Already today, really focusing on like how um, even customer success is, is much more handholding. Really empathy at the core of the business for we're dealing with stressed people and it, it shifts. So dealing with stressed people from a customer service or customer success perspective can be challenging, right? But just bringing in that empathy, it shifts everything. It's not about them. It's just like, okay, we're dealing with stressed people. We're really helping here. So it's it's both the, the suite of products and services and what we offer as this lifelong uh, partner that are, yes, we come here when you have times of stress. And when you don't need us, that's okay. Because we know that you will still be telling friends and family, gifting our products, et cetera, which you already are, uh, because this is something that comes and goes in life. Um, near term and yeah, so what we're finding, for example, just an example of a sort of new product category is um, apart from Herod's in London, we don't do bricks and mortar. So uh, because like we allow people to discover the product on online, they are, have the ability to go and research, look at reviews and uh, see that the vast majority really think the product works. Um, they can watch some videos and sort of find out and, and discover the product online and that's much more effective once we get to a stage where we have brand awareness and product awareness um, based on all the, the digital work that we've done, then you know it might make sense to, to have products on the, on the, on the shelf. Um, and, um, you know, we, we are doing a challenging thing, which is re reaching that really wide audience, but we are reaching them. And I am so passionate about the fact that we look at our usage data and a lot of people, the first thing they've done to deal with the stress and anxiety was buy a Sensate. So it's not, you know, that they're this geek that have 2000 devices and they bought another one, but we're really reaching the people that we want to reach. We have near 50% men and women, which is also, uh, you know, fantastic. There's more, you know, stigma in... Uh, for for men uh, talk about stress yeah, and anxiety and mental health. Or even to have the awareness so, that you need help. Possibly, and and that's something that we also deeply care about. And I think you know there there are other ways to reach. And we have a lot of of the biohacker, health hackers, uh, alpha male like Ben Greenfield and all these amazing people who like the product. And so great if they can inspire to 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 deal. They use it for for optimization, but it also obviously works for stress and anxiety. So it's just kind of how to. There's a lot of different considerations where. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's mixing the mission of what we're trying to achieve with the business strategy. And again, I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't be doing this. I had an opportunity to test out, are we able to sell this product on broad messaging? Are we able to get people to use it before I even took the co-founder on? It's fantastic. And I could talk a long time about how to test out and destroy business models before you raise money, because that's another favorite topic of mine, which I did a bit. I mean, um, I've got time if you've got time. Please tell us. I mean, I, you know, honestly, that sounds super interesting. And you are an expert on this. So go on, tell me, how can you rip apart a business model at the early stage? How do we know? For our listeners, how do they know that they're um, not about to commit to absolute dog shit? 
So, I, yeah, this is something that it surprises me both sometimes from early stage investors and also um, uh, entrepreneurs. And I did a bunch of consulting in this field um, uh, in the past. And so where I start is just like, okay, what assumptions need to be true for this to work? And that will be both obviously understanding a business model, like in order if the, you know, if the lowest cost of making this is X and the price is this, this is my margins and to get to break even, okay, I need to sell this many products. Like that's just kind of a basic thing. But then also for a person to buy this, what needs to be true? Does it need to be trust? Does it need to be a sense that they're getting a deal? Like what are the, what's the dynamic? And then you can test that out. So any type of questionnaires, interviews, um, any kind of like really low cost, easy uh, customer um, exploration. And I did this for startup on a budget, right? So I'm, because I love psychology and I love user behaviors and I look a lot of this stuff. So I structure what it is I wanna test out. And I literally just hired people on Upwork to do market research, give me the data on the market, so the breakdown, and then like someone that, that does the customer exploration, which is important. And also uh, questionnaire design is important that you do it right so it's not leading. And, and I have like, you know, it's like there's been, people that I worked with that had already been backed. And I'm like, guys, it doesn't matter how much you scale. It's, it's not gonna break even. There isn't a trust on this side. Um, here's all the evidence. The expectation on pricing is this. The expectations, on, like it was a matchmaking platform, for example, it was like a complete mismatch in expectations, both on pricing and service and trust on the two sides. And they ended up canning the whole, the whole project. So, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, vision and um, there are many different ways of doing things. But they're always like, but what needs to be true? Like something needs to drive someone to pay for something. It's a need or a want or desire or an insecurity or a belief. But like understanding that and then just finding, okay, am I on the right path? Then, you know, yeah, okay, cool. I'll keep going. What next can I test out? But to, to not even explore that and just have an idea in your head and all your friends are saying, oh, that sounds like a great idea, which always is the case and not doing any As kind of As is the fact that they curiosity. often then don't even buy it. Uh-huh, yeah, well, also true. So yeah, that's a little passion of mine. Um, so I have been uh, known to be a little bit of a, a sort of startup idea killer, uh, but because, you know, we want successful startups. We want um, entrepreneurship that are, you know, as an entrepreneur as well, to be willing um, you know, the my baby prob uh, problem, right? Like, you know, you have to be willing to let go, to pivot, to change, to, um, if you're too married to your idea and you don't have that deep sense of curiosity, um, yeah, it can, it can, uh, you can spend a lot of your own time and other people's money and, and never be successful in, in your dream, never comes to fruition. So, uh, you know, it's, it's from a space of love. <laughs> yeah, there's a strange experience I've had. So I failed a business previously. And so you learn loads from failing. Um, and, you know, it was uh, high profile. It was embarrassing. It was all the stuff. We raised lots of money. It all went to shit. You learn a lot. Um, and we had a high confidence, right? And lots of hubris. And everyone was telling us we were amazing. And lots of users. But it was a terrible business. Um, but great product. But doesn't make a good business. So typical venture-backed reality. Um, and then when I was starting a Heights, you know, people ask lots of questions, and I think they were really surprised how often and how comfortably I would say, I don't know. And the really experienced investors were like, okay, this guy gets it. And the less experienced people were like, this guy's a fucking idiot. He doesn't know the answer to any of the questions. 
Um, it was a really interesting insight because that stuff is quite flipped. The more experienced you are, both as a founder and an investor, you realize that you don't know all the answers. It's not possible to. You're going to go through a test and learn iteration phase. There are assumptions and you know that there are assumptions. Um, and the less experienced you are, the more confident you are that your idea is right. And the less experienced the investors are, they're more they're like, great, thank God. Finally, a guy that gets it. But actually, it's not. It's just someone who's really confident. And there's a massive <laughs> difference because when that confidence hits the market, you get a real hard wake up call. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is one of my experiences I've learned. Like the more, and I, now I'm an investor myself in so many different startups and I love to hear from people that they don't really know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fair, exactly. Neither do I. I guess we'll learn together. And that's really the process, right? It's like, it's a process. The question that I have for you, which is attached to this, by the way, is, it is so terrifying to do that with hardware because it's so hard. You know, I came from a software background myself. So, and Heights, it's supplements. It's not hardware like yours is hardware. We can change stuff, but it's a pain in the ass to change stuff. Um, but my pain in the ass will be a fraction of the pain in the ass for you. So, and I know because I've invested in some hardware companies and you've got to get a lot of assumptions and you've got definitely got to get enough assumptions right. If too, one too many is off, that hardware is, is screwed and the cost is just too high to recover from. So I think that's always fascinating to me about hardware uh, product founders. It's like, you've got to be kind of right enough for getting the product out into market and having it not fail and have faults and all of these things that will kill a business. Does that yeah. stress you out? Well, so... I don't really Correct let it stress answer. me Nothing out. Correct answer, nothing stresses Anna out, obviously. Uh, well, yes, um, but th I think, you know, I come from a, a software background as well, and I've actually worked with hardware a couple of times in the past. But, you know, you can apply agile processes to hardware as well, and you must. So, you know, nowadays it doesn't work the way it used to. You work with partners. First, you work with a prototype um, small batch uh, partner and then you iterate a bit there and then you get a sort of startup style manufacturer that can do small batches and you know yeah you have some returns and field failures um, in the early days you need to replace those for the customer and you know there's some cost involved with that but you know you're never going to create a batch of thousands of products until you've iterated on smaller batches and you know, nowadays, like, you don't build a factory. <laughs> you, there are amazing partners all over the world that are, uh, you know, experts in manufacturing and, um, you know, product design and the rest of it. And then there are different levels of, of complexity. I think for us, the, the complexity is like kind of in the firmware and the, the whole innovation and what we actually have a patent for. Um, and, um, you know, the fact that we're using vibration is, is, is uh, well, sonic vibration is, you know, has some impact. But we're not actually using any uh, insanely unavailable or complex components. So, um, yeah, I, I have to say, I think um, the, the sort of hardware is hard is is becoming a little bit of a of a myth given that the partners you work with uh you, you're not doing it yourself i'm not none of us in the company you know know how to run a manufacturing factory you work with we, you work with partners that do that all day long so yeah understanding you need to have the the in-house understanding obviously of how to work with them and and requirements but yeah agile agile man <laughs> anna final question and thank you so much for all your time by the way it's been super fascinating for me um Okay, listeners that want to go on a similar journey to you, and that is, you know, creating something new in a category. 
What is your advice for them? It's worth it. Um, I think um, there are different drivers. There is one which is an identity, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. But if this is something like it, it's a little buzz inside, like I want to do this, I want to get this out, um, then yeah, just absolutely go ahead. And stepping out of the comfort zone is going to feel uncomfortable. This is another of my favorite billboard things, which is, you know, the uncomfort is not a sign that you're on the wrong path. So when we start to get difficult questions, the things are challenging and we get no, so like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to do that. No, 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 no. It's just because you're out of the comfort zone. And it's like discerning the difference where it's like, oh, do I have blind spot? Am I not listening to, am I not receiving this feedback? Am I not exploring? Am I not, am I not willing to look at maybe this isn't a viable business? But if it's, if it's just damn uncomfortable and challenging and you still have this inner belief, it, you, you got to keep, keep going. And, and the world needs entrepreneurs to deliver the gifts. I mean, that is... That is just uh, an important, deep belief of mine. World needs more conscious entrepreneurs like you, Anna, and hopefully inspiring others to do the same as well. So thank you so much for joining us on Secret Leaders. Thank you, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode and found it useful, please write us a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a real difference. And we genuinely love reading what you think. We read every single review. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and we'll be back next week with more lessons for entrepreneurs and leaders. This episode was produced by Alex Graham, Ruth Edwards, and all brought together by our head of podcast, Will Stolomon. See you next time.